world. Where you headed to? Slice. You going down to south? Word. I gotta make some deliveries and I'll check you back there, right? Rebound. Back. All right. Oh shit! Let me check it out. That's the hype. Newest, latest. Let me tell you the story of right hand, left hand. It's a tale of good and evil. Hey, it was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love. These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand, the hand of love. The story of life is this. Static. One hand is always fighting the other hand. And the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand love is finished. But hold on, stop the presses. The right hand's coming back. Yeah, he got the left hand on the ropes now. That's right. Yeah. Ooh, it's a devastating right and hate is hurt. Down. Ooh. Ooh, left hand hate KO'd by love. If I love you, I love you. But if I hate you, there it is, love and hate. I love you, bro. Raheem, check the legs. Peace. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 177, Do the Right Thing. Back-to-back 1989 episodes for us. And that's the double truth, Ruth. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, we are tackling a big-time movie, one that is still shockingly relevant 30-plus years later. Directed by Spike Lee and written and produced by... One of the greats by him. I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. Mixed reception to his movies. This certainly one of the best ones. Obviously, we previously did 25th Hour. He's a lot of great films. Oh, yeah. He's a few good films. Yeah. And there's a lot of films that just kind of come and go. Really? That I guess you could say are mixed reviews at best. But this is a great one. I was watching, as I'm sure you did as I look across, sitting directly in front of me, my Criterion Blu-ray. And I, I gotta say, I thought it looked amazing. Reissued last year for the 30th anniversary. Yes. That would be a recommendation right there. Totally. Pick that up. <laughs> it's the third feature for Spike following She's Gotta Have It in School Days. And it's certainly his breakout film and really a career-defining work. Some people would say Malcolm X a few years later. Yeah. but There's kind of a lot to the legend of this movie, though, too. It's one yeah, of those like is... famous 
Cannes Film Festival reaction movies, which is somehow like every yeah movie. It's just know? part of the you, deal. Cannes Film Festival almost doesn't seem like a real thing. It's like always these stories about people either like standing up and applauding throughout the entire movie or like <laughs> booing it through the whole movie or and like walking out. People, like literally like after the movie was over, they did like a Sal's esque riot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's definitely a huge reputation that goes along with the movie i don't know i definitely hold it in a higher regard than even malcolm x which i think is a great movie but this sure. is like a personal story it's yeah not, malcolm x is obviously a biopic the story is sitting there for someone to come along and make and obviously when it's someone like spike lee they're gonna bring a lot of talent and do it in their own way but there's something about just an original screenplay. Original screenplay, just overall original feel to yeah the the movie, the content, the presentation of it. The uh, same year, Sex, Lies, and Videotape came yeah. out, and that movie gets a lot of credit for the independent film movement. Now, this movie came out through Universal, which yeah, is um, kind of surprising really in shocking. itself. The fact that a studio put this out. But it does have an indie yeah, feel Yeah, that's what I'm it, saying. Right? Like, this, I think... Well, not only this, but his first three films are all equally as responsible as, as Soderbergh or Linklater or yeah. any of those guys is kicking off the 90s indie movement. And Spike has always existed in that world, even when he's waded into the big studio system. Oh, sure. Yeah. So before we talk about Do the Right Thing, which I'm sure everyone's real excited to hear two white guys talk about this movie. <laughs> two just white dopes. <laughs> We'll remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Music, iTunes, Podbean, etc. Just some brief housekeeping yeah. notes. We just bombarded everyone with content over the last few weeks with it's our true. 2019 in review. Give us a second. So we're going to put Give Us a Second on hold. I think we'll probably try to bring it back by the end of April. We will also finally bring back on the record it's not over forever right this is going to be news to matt but i'm planning on four on the records this year just in this year by the way we were like damn close to ripping it out altogether i feel like a month ago four in a year though (laughs) is not that much so that's an overwhelming amount july okay september and december all right all the seasons okay I'm up first. We know what we're doing for April. Yeah. It's the same one as before. So you need to pick two, which would be July and December. Okay. All right. I can't. So something very like... Uh, Debbie Gibson. Sweat-inspired. Uh, <laughs> probably like jock jams or something. And then I'll have to find something for December. Mariah Carey she Christmas and him, album. winter class. Yeah. Okay. She and him. <laughs> yeah. So that's NSYNC Christmas. where we're at. Other than that, we'll just be doing the regular episodes. I do think we will return to a friday bonus at some point just to throw everyone even more things they don't want yeah i see friday bonus as a space to do the the weirder yeah not weirder but like less important topics that we think are funny we've really like caused a lot of confusion around like what the word bonus means (laughs) yeah for most of our listeners bonus would mean one less episode (laughs) to deal with (laughs) yeah so that's where we're at with the show for a while, though, until we return to a Friday bonus, I think we'll just be doing one release a week. We'll try to get back on the regular 
schedule, probably yeah. Sunday night releases. And okay. I just wanted everyone to settle back in. I know I like that. it was a lot of stuff coming since the new year started with all these give us a second thrown in there. I really feel like HBO really changed the game with like the Sunday night programming thing. Yeah. I feel like there's a void there now that's not quite... <laughs> that we're filling with our Yeah, podcasts. exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was building <laughs> towards, yeah. yeah. We're trying to slide in and take that time over. Yeah, it's also just the easiest release date for me. Which, that's enough. Yeah. That's Since enough I'm of a reason. editing these stupid yeah. things, and sometimes they're really long, like the Inherent Vice one. <laughs> <laughs> Which Matt has confided to me that he can't follow the, <laughs> the episode, I guess. Doesn't understand what we're talking about. That's what I'm saying. I want to get. Um, times. I I feel like, and I don't think Keith has checked in in a while, but I try to bring him up on as many episodes as I can. <laughs> but uh, if if we could get him to make Inherent Vice like that style, like logo, I think. But just like it says, like incoherent mess, and that's like you know the next wave of merch that we do for the podcast. <laughs> next wave of merch. Yeah, free merch. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about do the right thing. Right off the bat, since the film came out in 1989 and it's also set just in one little area and never really leaves it, let's compare it to The Burbs, That's right, yeah. which we just did. Two which... completely different universes, but there is this weird similarity in the like setting of the movies because it does just stay fixated on not just one little area, but really just a section of an area. Yeah, I think with Do the Right Thing more than The Burbs, it ends up feeling almost like a stage production, like a play. Yeah. The Burbs never quite really feels like that. Although sometimes it's close just because it's the way everything's like staged with like, oh, here's Ricky over here. Here's this over here. And it's like all kind of set up in a certain way. But that's one of the things that jumps out to me about oh, yeah. the way that this movie is staged. It's just having like mother, sister in the window. You have Demare kind of wandering around. He's There's almost in like the a... background of scenes where he doesn't even talk. There's characters that will be featured prominently in other scenes. They're walking through the back of scenes. There's almost like this feeling like you're stuck in the community, too. Like, you can't leave. Yeah, and that plays into the temperature and, like, the claustrophobia and the suffocation and all that stuff. Other than that, not really that similar <laughs> to the verbs. <laughs> no, although, I mean, we do have clearly uh, two different parts of the, the universe. Yeah, it's almost indicative of the struggles going on with certain communities and, and obviously what they had on their minds in 1989 and where this movie came from as far as inspiration for Spike Lee and, sure. and the things he was motivated by versus the idyllic tranquil suburban landscape where boredom it's, just it, it's funny to that crime. we, we yeah. spent so much time talking about how the characters in the burbs were just inventing things to upset themselves yeah really meanwhile letting their imaginations run wild there are people who have real struggles and problems the budget of Do the Right Thing was $6 million. The box office was 37.3. Like several okay. other films that we've Solid. done, this movie has been selected for preservation in the National whatever Library right. of Congress yeah. and all that AFI's shit. AFI's Top 100. The movie stars Spike Lee, his sister Joy Lee, playing his sister in the movie, Danny Aiello, right. Jade. Ossie Davis, Ruby D, Richard Edson, Giancarlo Esposito, Bill Gus Nunn, Fring. John Turturro, and Samuel L. Jackson, among others. Plus, it is the feature film debut of Martin Lawrence and Rosie Perez. Yeah. 
an ensemble cast, a lot of different characters. A lot of the characters don't really factor into what you would consider the plot. Right. Yeah. Although you could also say like 75% of the movie is doesn't really have a plot. That's true. There is a certain section of the movie that is just like a series of interconnected vignettes that don't really do anything except explore the space and give you an idea of what's going on in the neighborhood. Kind of set the tone for us. Yeah. The story explores a Brooklyn neighborhood's simmering racial tension, which culminates in violence and death on a hot summer day. That's your basic outline. The film was nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Original Screenplay and a nomination for Danny Aiello for Best Supporting Actor. It is crazy. In a year that uh, Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture. Yes. Seems wild. This, obviously, based on what you just went over, was not nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, and this is one of those things that it was a controversy then, too. Yeah, yeah, okay. Maybe not to the extent that things are now because of Twitter and social media, but it definitely was a topic yeah, even yeah, at the right. time. It's not like we're retroactively People weren't back. like, cancel driving Miss Daisy at that point. Or at least no, they didn't have a platform for not quite. to voice that. It's interesting. It's a whole debate because Driving Miss Daisy is, and the same with Green Book. I think the movies themselves, and this is obviously just the opinion of a white guy that doesn't really matter when it comes to this stuff. But who's to I, say who from matters? From my perspective, I don't really think that the movies are inherently your life bad. matters. I just think that they portray like a certain version of race relations that feel outdated and like white approved okay you know what i mean like this is how we like white people would want things to go and this is how we see it and we think that this is the way it should be and the way that it's appropriate and the reality is much different now i am one of those people that don't think the academy awards really have to matter that much and that when you give them that much power by carrying on you're kind of like embarrassing yourself and so how many episodes? When Spike Lee like flipped yeah. out about Green Book winning last year, it was kind of cringy to me. It's like, yeah. who cares? I-, I thought you were cooler than that. Like, I don't know. There's something cool about just making. Well, again, I mean, we were talking about it before that, the show. You know, isn't mainstream enough to win an award? Yeah, I mean, Spike Lee has made some great movies. He's made some certainly some duds as well. But it does seem like he's an eccentric dude. He kind of seems to enjoy causing a stir. <laughs> I don't mean like the content of his movies like at all. I just mean like causing scenes at like Knicks games. Yeah, the I fact mean, that he's like legendary for like getting in fights with Reggie Miller <laughs> during he, yeah, he Knicks definitely has like a larger than life persona. He became a celebrity filmmaker in a way that most filmmakers don't. Yeah, it's absolutely, a very yeah. small class of filmmakers that are as known as him. I think in, as far as white America, you're talking like your suburbs, your Midwest, more people probably know who Spike Lee is than have seen any of his movies at all. Yes. As far as like certain I, states and certain like areas of the country. household name, I would say. Not in like your major cities, not in like California, New York, or your urban areas, but I'm talking like your flyover states, not to denigrate any state in particular, oh, no. but you know what I mean, yeah. like. I think a lot of those people know who Spike Lee is, and they might not have ever seen any of his movies, or maybe have seen like one. Uh, or I would something. say that's probably fair. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it didn't get nominated for Best Picture. I was telling you before we started recording, I I love that clip of Kim Basinger calling it out right. on stage at the Academy Awards back in a time where making a statement like that was actually like rebellious yeah. and scary. And, and unlike now where these rebellious lines and jokes are virtually on the teleprompter, they're so pre-approved and okay with I everyone. Know. It's crazy. And we're pretending like, oh, we're saying something crazy it's like oh whatever but i was listening to him in an interview and you know he kind of talked about how like appreciative he was that she went out there and did that yeah and i get it i mean it's easy for me who hasn't made a film to just be like well you shouldn't care about being recognized as the greatest film or the best film of the year well here's the thing (laughs) spike as fans we deal with this every year (laughs) it's like i know you you made a movie and you felt like it should have won best picture but like every year there's some movie that's you know making me feel like wow this is really artistic or inventive or like pushing the envelope and i really hope it gets some recognition and then it is like okay green book wins best picture yeah i mean i think that's just uh the way it is with the oscars right every year and i guess it's probably easier for people who aren't in the business to maybe accept it but it is something that you realize over time. Like you look, because I saw somebody on Twitter posted, here are the last 10 best picture winners, like the best picture winners of the 2010s, basically. Sure. Yeah. For the decade. It starts with The King's Speech and ends with oh, Parasite. Yeah. And out of that list, I was like, I don't know, I like two of these movies, maybe three. <laughs> yeah. I don't and even I, want to specify which ones because I feel like me not liking some of them is okay. controversial, but. I might be yeah. going out on a limb here, but as I look around your apartment, it feels like you like a lot of movies. Yeah. I so just if there's the... like an 80% rate of you not really being into the movie that won Best Picture? At least recently. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah. So I think the idea of something that should win Best Picture winning it is pretty rare. But let's let's move on. From you want to talk Oscars. about the movie, though? Yeah. Let's just get off the Oscars okay. once and for all. <laughs> yeah. No more. The inspiration for Do the Right Thing came from an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents called Shopping for Death, in which the characters discuss the idea that hot weather increases violent tendencies. This is kind of funny, too, because that interview that I listened to, they call it like, oh, you were inspired by uh, Alfred Hitchcock. And he was like, no, it wasn't Alfred Hitchcock. It was like the Twilight Zone or something else. But like... Obviously, this is what's listed in Wikipedia, and it has to be right. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock's Presents was basically like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I think the origin of the idea is less important than what the idea is, yeah, because yeah. it's not like it's something that's completely out of the blue. I oh, mean, I think sure. people yeah. know that this is... Heat makes people act motherfucking fool. <laughs> yeah, I think people have shorter tempers and stuff when the weather is really oppressive and hot, and he took that into like one big stew and mix that in with his feelings on some of the recent racially motivated violence and crimes going on, like the Howard Beach incident in particular that involved the death of Michael Griffith and the murder of Eleanor Bumpers, who yeah. was a an elderly or an older African-American woman who was being evicted who ended up getting shot by the police. Good Lord. Just these crazy incidents. And when you think about that, what was going on in the 80s, all these different events, and he dedicates the film to the families of a lot of these victims at the end. And there's even more that were happening, you know, after this film was already like done being made. And then there's more happening 
at that time in 89, and how things just haven't really changed. The details of some of these events and how similar they are. Well, to, even like what happens with Radio Raheem and then like, yeah. the, you know, there's something in the news like that just a few years ago that's like almost a, seemingly like yeah, the same, the same thing. kind of stuff keeps happening. And this movie is really ahead of its time on a lot of different topics. Or, or, or just as timely, I guess, as it was then as it is now. Yeah. Which they even, you know, they get a, a Trump reference in here. There's Trump references. Yeah. Black Panther references. Gentrification. I'm talking about the comic book character Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. And climate change slash global warming That's talk. right, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff mixed Polar in this ice movie. caps melting, yes. Everything's going to flood. One of the things that jumps out when you watch, especially the new print or any version, is the set design, the painting of the buildings red and orange, which really makes... Yeah, everything kind of jump off the screen in, in an in-your-face way where it's so easy to tell that it's supposed to be hot and that you can just feel how hot it is. And that's from oh, that's horrible. the sweat on the characters to some yeah. of the interior designs, the small apartments, like Rosie Perez's character's apartment is like a so narrow walking down that hallway or <laughs> that horrible-looking bed in that feeling. DeMare wakes up in at the beginning. Oh, where you're just yeah. like, how hot does that look? Yeah, well, trust me. I mean, there was parts watching this where I was like, "Oh God, how much is the mayor like a future version of me?" Future. <laughs> yeah, but I like, seem to remember an apartment on Sarah Street. Yeah, I was sweating. I felt like we were waking up that like that every day. Oh yeah, just like pulling up like a little fan and like putting it in your face. <laughs> yeah, o- over the years, I-, I have some friends who live in the the Brooklyn area, and it's like I've gone to visit. Over the summer, and it is just a nonstop sweat factory. It's, yeah, it's just, all the pavement, all the buildings, everything all the seems people, to radiate yeah. heat. Oof. Yeah. You see this, and it, it there's just this gross, sweaty, <laughs> grimy feeling to it. I, I love this time period in filmmaking, like the late 80s, heading through the 90s. It was like the perfect time for New York City to be the backdrop of films. Oh, yeah. You know? New York in the 80s. And even like the 70s to me. The 70s and 80s New York just looks way cooler in movies than anything now, for sure. But it feels like even into the 90s, there was like a lot of indie filmmaking where like New York City was... A character. Yeah. (laughs) Everything in the film was shot on Stuyvesant Avenue between Quincy Street and Lexington Avenue. The cinematography was done by frequent... Spike Lee collaborator in those days, Ernest R. Dickerson. Yeah, and I mean, he's really on fire in this movie. A lot of experimental angles and... You pay attention to it, I would say. It really emphasizes the character's speech and the delivery of the speech. And he uses all kinds of diagonal angles and stuff and shot from below. And there's that one where it starts like in the apartment and then it comes like out of the apartment. Like it just a camera it's moving keeps moving all over back the place, in yeah. like one... Yeah, and there's a lot of vibrant colors used throughout it. What the characters are wearing, all of the different background stuff really pops off the screen. And like a lot of Lee's work, especially during this time period, but you know, I think he carried it throughout the 90s. I think he doesn't really do it as much, but well, I guess like Chirac maybe, but like it feels like a stage play. The way that a lot of characters deliver lines feels like something you would see like in a theater. Yes. Like a on a, on stage rather than in a movie. 
and a lot of Lee's played, like um, Smiley was like a pretty big theater actor. Yeah, I think so. A lot of Lee's trademarks are on display here, including like speaking to the camera and little diversions of just like listing stuff, <laughs> which is just something that gets done sometimes in these movies. But it works maybe the best it ever works in this movie where it's almost like a, a reprieve from the heat to hear Samuel L. Jackson's character on the radio just list a bunch of African-American oh, yeah. music artists that are like, I don't know, there's Very like smooth. 40 or 50 of them and all different genres and eras and everything. And it's like this insane list and you just kind of roll with it. And then also the usage of just like flowery, racial epithets well yeah <laughs> by different characters a lot of times directed at the camera in like in a very in-your-face confrontational way yeah. music of course playing a big role we have fight the power seemingly playing on repeat throughout it but also not too dissimilar from some of his other movies this kind of like slow jazz music that's yeah, in i think it his too. dad did the score oh this. wow i didn't know that yeah okay yeah, Fight the Power was a song that Lee asked Chuck D basically to write a, an anthem for the movie. Yeah, and I, I was reading that, getting ready to do this episode, didn't didn't realize that this song was made for the movie. Yeah, which is always a cool thing whenever a movie and a song can both be iconic on their own terms. Absolutely. And not even really necessarily connected in everyone's minds. Spike Lee wanted... Robert De Niro to play Sal, yeah. which ended up going to Danny Aiello. I think now, it worked out right because I, I, you know, I'm sure De Niro could have done the role, but it feels like he's too much of a star. For yeah, it. I would agree with that. If it's De Niro in that part, it becomes a De Niro movie. It's distracting. I feel like, and it it changes the way the audience is going to perceive what happens at the end for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to like jump ahead, we'll we'll get there. But when Sal smashes. Radio Rahim's boombox. I think if that's De Niro doing that, coming. I mean, granted, this is pre oh, Goodfellas, yeah. but he still was Robert De Niro. Had a pretty big career to this point. I would say. I think the audience is going to be like more inclined to be on his side and cheer him because they know him from a million other things. Yeah, right. Here's this badass gangster dude making a scene. Yeah. And having it be Aiello, who's more of a character actor, it, he kind of just blends in with the it seems ensemble like a cast believable a lot easier. Just guy. Yeah. It's a great performance, and it's oh, yeah. worthy of being nominated. But, yeah, I mean, no one's saying, like, Danny Aiello is, like, as good of an actor as Robert De Niro. I mean, sure. that's insane. Right. But, yeah, in this type of movie. I think it movie, fits this movie. Yeah. yeah. During filming, the neighborhood's crack dealers threatened the film crew for disturbing their business so oh, wow. lee hired fruit of islam members to provide security <laughs> <laughs> what but, about these uh three dudes that just sort of sit outside talking about global warming and whatnot i, I was kind of feeling like you know sweet dick willie if we lived in this neighborhood this would be our crew you know <laughs> yeah i like those dudes and they're yeah. funny and i guess they factor in a little bit because the one guy is sort of prejudiced against the korean grocers but they're more just like salad dressing on the side yeah, yeah right. like to spice it up and be funny although i do like the one guy is commissioner burrell from the wire that frankie Faison. yeah i i love that guy he has just like such great delivery <laughs> uh, yeah him and, and the dude in the middle sweet yeah. dick willie are like really funny is baltimore gentlemen the gods <laughs> will not save you <laughs> just love the wire yeah they're almost like a greek chorus except even less 
involved in the story. <laughs> like yeah. they're just you could almost they're just like they're like those two guys from the Muppets that sit up in kind the of yeah, yeah they do comment on a lot of the other characters as they pass by and they always have like great jokes <laughs> like when yeah. bugging out pretty good joke. tells them about the yeah the boycott he's like you should boycott the barber that fucked up your head <laughs> <laughs> which you feel like you know with a a name like bugging out you're gonna have some problems yeah well obviously yeah. you earn a nickname like that right <laughs> one of the major things that surrounded the release of this film whether you want to talk about the oscars controversy or anything just the general reception the critical reception uh, i'm gonna make a weird comparison here eventually all right and and i don't want people to take it the wrong way but (laughs) try not to it's almost like the way that people reacting to this movie and by people i mean like the initial critics mostly white but not all there were a few notable african-american critics who fell into this as well really almost like chastising the movie for being a potential way to incite violence that it was going to rile people up to act violently and basically were like blaming Lee for stuff that hadn't happened yet and ultimately didn't happen. And it's like a very early precursor to (laughs) the way that film media reacted to Joker this past year. Now, I'm not comparing the social relevancy of Do the Right Thing yeah, to yeah. a clown movie. There's... Even if you do want to say, like, okay, Joker's about like mental illness and all that stuff, I'm not comparing the two. Obviously, the real-life shit that inspired Do the Right Thing is way more serious than anything to do with Joker. But this idea of the media panicking and then trying to push a narrative yeah, yeah. And, and almost like fear-mongering with the potential audience for a film being like, almost stay away from this movie because there might be riots in the audiences in the theaters and stuff like that. 30 years later, it comes off as very racist and almost like naive and how like silly it feels. Like we're just like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's this kind of weird thing with the feeling of the movie overall because the themes are very serious. There's a lot of moments of intensity, even like parts that you almost wouldn't you you almost don't expect it to rise to this level of intensity but at the same time there's kind of like this almost silly fairy tale feel to the movie yeah and lee's reaction to this was that you know it really bothered him because basically the way he interpreted what these critics were saying was that black audiences weren't mature enough to understand the difference between a movie and reality i mean if like critics are insinuating that then that's that is something to react harshly to right he was saying like you never see these critics say people are going to come out of arnold schwarzenegger movies like wanting to shoot up everything yeah yeah. stuff so why are people going to come out of this movie and think that they need to start a riot because it's just a movie yeah yeah and i mean i would agree with them to be fair and to play both sides of this thing (laughs) a little bit I mean, I love the movie, and I think it's it's great totally. and powerful, but I also think it's fair to negatively review any movie, whether it's this or anything. So if people want to pick apart different aspects of the film itself, there are definitely things you could pick apart. I think Spike Lee playing such a big part in this movie is kind of a bad decision. He's not good as an actor in this movie, well, especially yeah. at the end where you're expecting way more emotion in some of these scenes and he's kind of just reading the lines i think he's okay in some of the scenes with uh sal and uh, not the last one no not the last (laughs) one but i think throughout 
But even the stuff with Rosie Perez and her mom and everything. There are some scenes where he, he's passable, and then there's other scenes where it's like he's reading lines. Yeah, yeah. He, it doesn't seem like he's really acting. But because this movie's an ensemble, and because we know he's the writer-director, and he's kind of at the center of it, and we're not, like, expecting big, dramatic moments out of Mookie, it's okay. It ends up not really being a problem, but if you were going to write a bad review and you wanted to start there, yeah, and then some of the line deliveries throughout and i mean there's things you could pick apart if you wanted to so i think it is fair of critics that want to negatively review the film but these insinuations that this film is going to somehow lead to violence is so crazy and it's bizarre it's just like the same shit we've been dealing with year after year like video games cause columbine or some it's just like get the fuck out of here people must get like caught up in like their own personal feelings about things i don't know it just seems so crazy and maybe there were times in my life when i was younger that i was just like more emotional about things and maybe would react to things but it just seems so nuts to think that people would i I don't know that a logically thinking person believing that someone's going to react to a movie in a way that they're going to go incite a riot in a way it's an indication that the movie's working because it makes yeah the viewer so uncomfortable that they're inspired to then write these big emotional things like warning people of it yeah. it's like i mean it's like after i it saw comes back um, to like any press is good press well even true. If it's bad yeah. you know what i mean like it caused like such a stir and the awareness of this movie was so high and yeah, I mean, it's not like this movie made a hundred million dollars or anything, oh, yeah. but I do think that all of these things contributed to the reputation of the movie and propelled it even further than maybe it would have been. So I think ultimately some of those reviews maybe had like the opposite effect of what they were even going for. Good. It added to like the notoriety of yeah. the film. As I mentioned, I believe that I think that Spike Lee dedicated the film to the families of Eleanor Bumpers, Michael Griffith, Arthur Miller, Edmund Perry, Yvonne Smallwood, Michael Stewart, all African-Americans that died in incidents either with the police or with, I guess, mobs of people uh, with the Howard Beach incident. Just insane to me that 25 years after this movie came out, so like 2014 i believe that was the summer that yeah it was that like uh what was the city it was in missouri was it, uh, right? ferguson yeah yeah all that stuff was happening and we were just like almost reliving it seemed like we had like a, a long yeah there, there was like a stretch there where it was just like these types of incidents were happening and like being very much in the news regularly yeah i do think that they never stop happening absolutely but they do like yeah. spike at certain times for whatever reasons I don't know. That might just be how the press is covering it. It's it's hard to to know when you're guys like yeah. Us I don't think this stuff ever stops happening. I mean, I think it's happening like across the board all the time. I think that like violent crime is happening. I think that like people are. I think that you know there's corruption happening all the time to a lot of people of different cultures and races. Like I, I do think this stuff is constantly happening, and I do think that there are time periods where the media certainly perpetuates different stories because that's what they're choosing to latch onto at the time i do think a big part of do the right thing is about the frustration of not being able to really solve these things easily and how yeah there's always a dichotomy and a big theme is love versus hate 
and the movie closes with two quotes, and I'll read those quotes when we get there, yeah, yeah. that almost are opposed to each other in the way of thinking one from Martin Luther King Jr., one from Malcolm X, and that runs throughout the film. And so what is the right thing, and does Mookie do the right thing? And what is the solution to these issues? And every character in the film is right in some respects, except for maybe Pino. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Pino and, is is kind of like unrepentant yeah. <laughs> racist, but a lot of the characters are right and wrong. Sure, and there's always a balance. And I think, regardless of what Spike Lee says now, because I do think that sometimes he intentionally says things just to to play the middle and to kind of keep it vague. I do think that he gave a lot in this movie to Sal rather than to make him this generic white character that oh, you're yeah. not supposed to like, especially like that ending scene. With him talking about not caring about the insurance money and him building that place with his hands. That's right, yeah. He, he he's really I mean, good in that He scene. honestly didn't have to include that scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because then you could just rationalize in your head, like, all right, well, he's going to come out with the insurance and Radio Rahim has lost his life. And sure. So but you're reminded then of, like, why this pizzeria is important to him. And well, it's not as Lee wrote the script. It's not like he well, had and to that's put one of that the there. Great things that he's doing in this movie is showing all of these characters different perspectives. Yeah. Because that's like such a big part of it. I mean, ultimately, there is some degree of comedy going on throughout this movie. I know, like, yeah. At, at a certain point, we get to like death and intense anger, but like, there is a certain degree of comedy going on in this movie. And I think, like, ultimately, one of the things that's being pointed out here is how silly racism actually is. <laughs> You know, like, it's, like, kind of an insane thing. And, I mean, it comes from, like, people's natural tendency to, like, draw lines and choose sides and, like, associate with certain things based on similar traits. But it's, like, for someone like me who, like, doesn't relate to anybody, <laughs> it seems so crazy to me that you would ever think that way. But obviously, like, we live amongst a society where people do that. But it is just, like, such a silly thing. Like, it just doesn't even make sense. Well, I think you solved it. You solved racism. Yeah, just don't be friends with <laughs> anybody. Podcast over. Just if you can't find yourself relating to anyone, then you're you... on the right path. Exactly. Yeah. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Up you wake! Up you wake! Up you wake! Up you wake! This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy, your voice of choice, the world's only 12-hour strong man on the air, here on We Love Radio 108 FM, the last on your dial, but first in your hearts, and that's the truth, Ruth. Here I am, am I here? You know it, it you know. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy doing the nasty to your ears, your ears to the nasty. Eyes only play the platters that matter, the matters they platter. And that's the Taroot Root. From the heart of Bed-Stuy, you're listening to We Love Radio. Doing the yin and the yang, the hip and the hop, the stupid fresh thing, the flippity-flop. Oh! I have today's forecast for you. Hot! So let's talk about the movie itself. It's hard to go through this chronologically because, like I said, I mean, there's a lot of semi-related things going on, little tangents there's into different things. There's things that, like, while you're watching the movie, it seems like it makes sense, but then going back in time to try to talk about it, you're like, maybe that was kind of throwaway. Movie opens with Rosie Perez dancing. Yeah, kind of a crazy, uh, bombastic opening. <laughs> there's like this aggression on her face. It's like very 
raw there's like this sexual yeah. energy it's dancing like, in a way of which uh, you know i would never be able to replicate yeah i it's almost like you don't know how to respond to it you're kind of afraid but also turned on <laughs> absolutely she was a dancer she was doing choreography mostly i think she had been working with like the fly girls and stuff and this was her first movie and i think spike just met her at a club where she was dancing somewhere not like a stripper <laughs> I realized how that sounded after I said it. She was just dancing in a dance club, and he met her and was like, hey, do you want to be in my movie? Yeah. <laughs> and another part of this opening, the iconic font for the credits, which would be replicated a lot throughout the 90s in African-American television shows like Different World. Is that what it's called? That seems familiar. <laughs> <laughs> just different stuff throughout the 90s. We meet Mr. Senior Love Daddy, played by Samuel L. Jackson. He's talking oh, yeah. about the temperature. It's going to be hot, oppressive, sweaty, intense. Sam Jackson periodically pops up throughout the movie. He has like a giant window that he can look out onto this neighborhood, and he almost yeah, like, incorporates that into his radio right. show, <laughs> yeah, he's which like, he has to do for 12 hours. Talking about... <laughs> I was like, yeah. what DJ's Imagine on for that 12 hours? Gig. It is... Kind of nuts to think about a radio show that's incorporating characters from the neighborhood <laughs> and talking about what what's going on with them. I guess it was before reality TV. Yeah, also a connection to the burbs there. Demare walking around. He's an elderly guy. He's the drunk of the neighborhood. Love his outfit. Just like this old ratty suit. He's a friendly, benevolent drunk, I guess. Yeah. I mean, everybody seems to like him except for mother, sister. It (laughs) seems like they have some history. I'm I'm sure they hooked up sometime in the 70s or something. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, they had a a, a late night one night. Yeah. Everyone else, though, seems to like him. Smiley, played by Roger Guinevere Smith. Not in the original script. And he pestered Lee for a part. And I think... It's a fortuitous thing because Smiley, although not actually essential to the plot, he is essential to a lot of what I perceive to be the messaging of the film. The love-hate dichotomy, the pictures being involved, especially it's a nice little ending there for Sal's Pizzeria with one of Smiley's pictures. Because what he does is he has pictures of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King that he draws on yeah and then sells for like two dollars right he's a mentally disabled guy we should point out and he's like wandering around that's what he does and everyone (laughs) seems to humor him and buy his pictures he draws like basquiat looking yeah crowns on martin luther king and he puts like a big x next to malcolm x not i mean let's be honest not really the best art i've ever seen but okay well two bucks But that's the great thing when you make these independent movies and doing 177 episodes of this show, we've talked about plenty of movies, and a lot of times these great movies pick up luck along the way. Oh, sure. And things kind of just roll right. And Smiley not being a part of the original script... Yeah, he's featured prominently, I would say. Seems crazy when you watch it now, because he he's in some of the... He's in the climactic moments of oh, the yeah. movie. Now, he doesn't have to be there. It's not like anything he does pushes the action forward it's interesting I, you, but he ends up being a symbol for a lot of the stuff going on in the movie you, you mentioned the martin luther king malcolm x stuff a couple times now uh, it's like spike lee had this script written and then was it his original intention to have these quotes in the credits and have this other stuff with smiley with these guys it, there is a part of me that almost feels like 
he's being a little too in your face with what the theme is here. I, I feel like it would have been okay to have a little bit more subtlety to it. And I, I wonder if him as a more mature director now would be as obvious about it. What do you mean when you say obvious? Like what, what part? The idea that he's hitting at here with like the dichotomy between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. You mean X. not having the quotes? The quotes and what what Smiley's doing with... Or just having, him walking around with the pictures. Yeah. I mean, well, that's two parts that I wonder if we're being a I little mean, too interface with it. I don't know if it's like... I mean, because I, I, I think that's just like a part of it. I don't know if that's like the whole thing. I mean, I think the main thing is the idea of what was going on with the violence against african-americans in the new york city area yeah that would inspire this and then kind of taking that and mixing that in with like the hottest day of the summer and the tensions in a neighborhood that had kind of been boiling under the surface and then i i would say like the reaction to that is the stuff that comes in with like how can we move forward is that on the side of love or hate which when we get to Radio Rahim's rings and all right. that stuff. And I don't know. I mean, I, th- I see what you're saying. I mean, yeah. I, I think I would say that it, you need to lay a little bit there for people. Well, and I mean, I, I think that too, but... You're saying get rid of Smiley. <laughs> no, I mean, I just think what I was getting at was I don't think Spike Lee is that interested in subtlety anyway because like we get to like a Black Klansman... You can end Black Klansman and get the point, but, well, now I want to really hammer home that I feel like none of this has changed. With, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know if subtlety is, is a word that many people would use to describe right. his style. <laughs> we meet Mookie, played by Lee. He's a 25-year-old pizza delivery man living in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. Bed-Stuy. With his sister, Jade, played by Spike Lee's real-life sister, Joy Lee. Yeah. It is thoughts on Jade. A little weird him putting his face like right up against her face when she's sleeping. I found that to be a little yeah. strange. One of the things that she looks like a a female version of Spike. Not that she's not attractive, but you yeah. can definitely tell that they're related. Yeah. Well, I think the male version of Spike is attractive as well. <laughs> the thing I think is interesting about Mookie is that he and his girlfriend Tina, played by Rosie Perez, have a toddler son named Hector, though they do not seem to live together yet <laughs> which no, i found them having a kid together and not being broken up but they don't live together well what does rosie perez's mom think of all this but they have a kid <laughs> i know yeah <laughs> i mean at that point i think the horse is out of the barn <laughs> yeah I, know. I don't think there's really anything else that could happen <laughs> is the whole insinuation here that the reason that they're always getting pissed at him for being gone for long deliveries is that's like the time that he chooses to go spend with his girl and his kid i just took that to be that he would take his time or is he just always skipping around yeah because well, sometimes well one time he goes and takes a shower yeah. one time he goes and sees tina other times he just stops and talks to people i love it i think it's just like a combination of different stuff it doesn't seem like sal's has like a ton of deliveries yeah mookie works at sal's pizzeria sal the owner played by Danny Aiello. He's been in the neighborhood for 25 years, which would mean 1964, which is crazy because there's a lot in this movie that doesn't look like it's from 1989. So the thought to me that 1964 is when he started in that neighborhood seems like a completely different era. Yeah. Now, if you were living in 1989 
and you were Danny Aiello's age, I'm sure 1964 felt like yesterday. <laughs> but, okay, take Mookie, yeah. for example. He's wearing a throwback jersey that looks like someone would wear it now. He's wearing, like, cool, rare-looking Jordan shoes oh, yeah. that look like people would wear them now. There's nothing distinctly 80s about this. I mean, maybe Radio Rahim carrying around a boombox. But, I don't know, there's nothing that makes you think, like, oh, this is from a 30 years ago. It doesn't look, like, that dated to me. No, I agree with that. And so thinking, like, 1964, it's like, holy shit. Yeah, that does feel like a different era. Sal has two sons, Pino, played by John Turturro, who is clearly not a fan of black people. In that fact, kind of openly uh, speaks about it. Almost maybe the most over-the-top, hateable character in the movie if, in a yeah, lot of ways. Because he's just basically evil i mean yeah i wonder though like what his motivation is i mean i, I well, get it is... i'm like I, as a white guy it's like oh here we go i'm gonna try to figure out a defense for him but i just feel like it's so crazy it's hard to even believe that it's real it's but it's also, almost like it's motivated by a lot of other disappointment if, if you, in life well, that's, or something well yeah it, that's the thing if you've ever met someone who's acting like that you do feel like their issues go well beyond well, obviously, Being racist. Yeah. I mean, how are you that angry all the time? Yeah, he's it's got a lot like, of chill, anger dude. problems. And I also, when I think about people like this, I'm always like, I feel like you just need to get a, a more stressful job. If you had a job <laughs> that stressed you out all the time, you would forget about yeah, all you this. You wouldn't have the energy. Although, it seems like with a lot of people like this, it's just built in. Like, they're... Yeah, yeah. Now, we don't seem to see the same level of racism from Sal, but, I mean, in general... When you see a guy that's Pino's age, you think that it was probably inherited from the parents. Yeah. It usually doesn't grow to be that intense without some nurturing from a parent figure. His racism is complicated by the fact that his father, Sal, doesn't want to leave the neighborhood. I think it's actually kind of a touching scene where he talks about his pride at feeding the people of this neighborhood and watching the people grow I up. enjoy this, yeah. That's later in the film, but it's just that Sal has roots in this neighborhood, and they've been there a long time, and now the neighborhood's become predominantly black, and he's not leaving. He doesn't want to leave. Yeah, and even like early on in the movie when patrons of Sal's Pizzeria are sort of antagonizing him about... <laughs> <laughs> extra cheese or yeah. whatever he, it feels more like he has this old curmudgeon-y thing going on like nothing it seems like most of the people over the line like sal yeah and like the restaurant enough to go there every day basically it's just a staple of the neighborhood and for as much as pino bitches about different shit we don't actually see it you could assume that there have been times where they've felt unwelcome in the area but we don't actually see that in the movie, so yeah, we just have to kind of wonder what Pino is referring to a couple of the times. And it's further complicated by Sal's other son, Vito, played by Richard Edson, who... Who's, like, friends with Mookie. F- very friendly with Mookie and does not seem really like Pino at all. So after that basic setup, we meet some other neighborhood personalities. There's Mother's Sister, played by Ruby D. She watches over the neighborhood from her window there's radio rahim who we've mentioned a bunch he blasts public enemy on his boombox wherever he goes i do like his introduction to the movie where that guy's like he he even walks in stereo or whatever he lives in stereo yeah 
it's a fitting description and it really makes you understand who this guy is it's like this big he boombast- seems, I was gonna say, he bombastic seems figure a pretty big guy yeah and it seems like a lot of the people in the neighborhood i wouldn't say are like afraid yeah. of him but they kind of like defer to him now listening to uh spike lee talk about the movie he refers to radio rahim as mookie's best friend now do you feel that way throughout the movie that it's those hard two to are tell best- yeah, I, if anything, it seems like he's palling around with bugging out more. Yeah. He seems like he's friends with everybody. Though. Yeah, yeah. Everyone I seems agree. to like Mookie. Well, yes, that's true. Radio Raheem is played by Bill Nunn. Yes. Is his name? Pittsburgh native. Passed away a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, a lot of people in this movie have passed away, including Danny Aiello, which was pretty recent. I think it was last year. Yeah, well. I think he was in the Oscar. It's been montage. a lot of years, sadly. Zach, I don't know if you... Well, Realize yeah, a lot of the people passed. that passed away were pretty old, but Bill Nunn was not that old. Yeah, sad. Frank Vincent passed away. I mean, he Phil was like, Leotardo. I guess he was like in his 70s. Yeah. I don't know if that counts. He looks old in this movie. <laughs> I like looked up how old he was. He was younger than me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> he was like 52 or something Okay, like that. yeah. <laughs> how sad would that be? Wow. I would kill myself yeah, yeah. right now. As you mentioned, uh, one of the other neighborhood fixtures is a guy named Buggin' Out. Yeah. Played by Giancarlo Esposito, known right. as Gus from Breaking Bad. A completely yes. different character. <laughs> Almost in, you, get, an insane transformation yeah, right. from one to the other. You couldn't you even see his believe range this. Here. Yeah. <laughs> He's he, really going from just like insane, charismatic, wild, unpredictable dude to just being like the most reserved, yeah. ruthless, badass Bugging Out has a bit of a reputation for troublemaking. Seems like he gets under some people's skin, although he is friendly with Mookie. It is mentioned early on, though, that he goes to Sal's like three times a day. <laughs> <laughs> and the major conflict of the film is set up fairly early, and it right. pays off yeah. at the end. Yo, Mook! Mookie! What? Come get your brothers up on the wall. Man, ask Sal, right? Hey, hey, Sal, how come we got no brothers up on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. You can put your brothers and uncles and nieces and nephews, your stepfather, stepmother, whoever you want. You see? But this is my pizzeria. American Italians on the wall only. Take it easy, huh? And you, hey, don't stop me today. What? Yeah, that might be fine, Sal, but uh, you, you own this. Rarely do I see any American Italians eating in here. All I see is black folks. So since we spend much money here, we do have some set. You looking for trouble? Are you a troublemaker? Is that what you are? You making trouble? Yeah, I'm a troublemaker. I'm making trouble. You're a real ball breaker. Who's coming in here looking for trouble, huh? Suppose I busted your head. How would you... Uh, Mookie, Mookie, you want to get your friend out of here? Well, are you going to kick me out now? Are you, you going to kick me out, huh? No, I'm not kicking you out. You're kicking yourself out. What? Look, we got some brothers up on the wall, you Let's know? Go. Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela, you know, you're Michael Jordan. Tomorrow. Come on, get, get, get him out, all right? I'm trying to get him out. Yeah, I'm paying for life. this stuff. I know you paid for it. Let's go. Yeah, all right, all right. So you're kicking me out. Go beat me in the head and go kick me out, right? Come on, let's yeah, go. okay, bet. Yeah, all right. Let's yeah, go. look, I paid for my. Look. Boycott Styles. Yo, boycott Styles. I got your boycott swinging. Boycott Styles. Yo, man, what you laughing at? Yo, man, I paid for my slice, man. Yo, man, I spent much money in there. What are you trying to do? What am I trying to do? 
So within Sal's famous pizzeria, he has the Wall of Fame. It's a wall in the restaurant decorated with famous Italian-Americans, like photos or, I guess, like headshots of Italian-American actors. Actors. There's like Pacino, De Niro, Frank Sinatra, Sophia Loren. Which would have been really weird if De Niro was playing Sal. (laughs) There's a picture of him up there. Bugging out once, black celebrities included too, yeah. since Sal's is in a predominantly African-American neighborhood and most of the patrons are black. Sal says it's his business, he owns it, and he can have whoever he wants on his wall. I feel like that's a fair stance from Sal. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're bugging out, which, to be fair, bugging out does try to take this approach. If you don't agree with it, don't go to the restaurant. And... Bugging out is... Yeah. Uh, you do have to wonder if the temperature and, and just everything was frayed and, and the incident coming up with bugging out's Jordans and everything. If Oh, yeah. If everything wasn't going a certain way, like, would this be that big of a deal? Yeah, right. But it's all that it takes, really, to set That's a spark thing. and set things into motion for later. So, And this is what's great about it, because it is just, like, such a culmination of things. It, it's all these little things just, like, building and bubbling and all of that combined with the fact that the heat is just unbearable bugging out tries to get a protest slash boycott going and he asks a bunch of people over which almost feels funny and innocent at this juncture yeah especially the the way that like jade and sweet dick willie and all those people are turning him down and kind of goofing on him for this like i said most people like sal and sal's restaurant at least well enough to be like get the fuck out of where else are we gonna get pizza but this is the central idea that will come back into play later and then after this introduction and into the movie we kind of segue into a series of vignettes we see the fire hydrant opened up kids playing in the street definitely a a city thing yes Frank Vincent drives by in a convertible <laughs> and they're like pretending like they're going to block the water. And then when he drives by, they spray it into his water. It's so predictable. It's like as soon as he saw that fire hydrant, dude, just start. You know where this is backing like- up. <laughs> Back up. You know where this is going. He's flipping out. And it's interesting that Lee would choose to include this scene because the two cops show up, one of which is played by Danny Aiello's real life son. Yeah. yeah. And in this scene, they kind of are on the people of the neighborhood side a little bit. They're kind of goofing on this guy in their own way, kind of just like pretending to take him seriously. And then they're like, well, did you get their names? (laughs) Like he would have the names of the people. It was like (laughs) Martin Lawrence's character and like that other dude. Oh, yeah. Kind of a group. Yeah, Joe and Mo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the cops like don't seem like bad guys. Not at this juncture. Yeah, so like there's all these little moments within the movie where you see – the full range of people and not that that makes like anything yeah. that happens later well, even like, like redeemable um, but it's even, just it's interesting that he's trying to present three-dimensional characters rather than just even like the mayor with all of his personal <laughs> struggles and problems very early on he's walking into sal's and it's like everyone is like hey mayor what's up you know like he's just sort of yeah. a, a well-liked guy by the community i don't know it's just You see how all these things fit together, and nothing seems awry. John Savage from The Deer Hunter goes by and scuffs Bugging Out's New Jordans. This causes a little bit of a a confrontation where 
John Savage, I don't know his character's name, bicycle guy. He's like <laughs> taken aback by this. He doesn't really understand what's happening. He's wearing a Larry Bird jersey. It does jersey. feel like he's almost unnecessarily being taken to task. Yeah, I mean, who's to say? Yeah, but maybe it was. It's funny that he's egregious. wearing like a Larry Bird jersey. So they're like, go back to Massachusetts. And he's like, I was born in Brooklyn. Yeah. And they're just like, oh. <laughs> One of the best scenes of the movie, I think, is the conversation between Pino and Mookie, where Mookie's finally confronting Pino about his racism, and he's like, well, who's your favorite athlete? Magic Johnson. Who's your favorite actor? Eddie Murphy. Who's your favorite musician? And before he can answer, Mookie's like, Prince, you're a Prince Feek. And he's like, no, Bruce, Bruce. (laughs) The way that Pino talks about these three Magic Johnson, Eddie Murphy, and Prince is kind of like it's a very common. I don't thing believe that, that anyone do. in New York City in 1989 was a fan of any NBA player that wasn't on the Knicks. Were the Knicks good in '89? I don't know. I just feel like New York is so. We have to understand. <laughs> now, now I'm gonna uh, mansplain basketball. No, okay. I just feel like I just New feel York like City is Magic always ready for the Knicks <laughs> to be. Well, that's true. But yeah. Magic and Bird, and then coming along there jordan they were just so that's true so yeah big. like just like iconic yeah they're basically what made the nba like mainstream and popular it's true. yeah because as, I, as I you're live... so often reminded <laughs> yeah. on bill simmons podcast there was a time yeah where even like playoff games were shown on like tape delay they weren't even like live wow until like it finally like blew up with and it's guys. true i mean i didn't live through this era you did <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was really attuned That's to right. <laughs> the different NBA stars. <laughs> you know what? I was probably living in New Jersey when this film came out. Although I, maybe I moved to Pittsburgh. I don't know. Yeah, um, just a hop, skip, and a jump from bed stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is basically about my neighborhood that I grew up in. <laughs> no, but what I was going to say was this is such a common thing that racists do sometimes that it's always like hilarious yeah. where where they try to justify their feelings but they'll have like a black friend and they're like well not you like that kind of a thing it's you know where they're exempting like certain people yeah but they're still holding on to their like ignorant views and like see i i prefer to be more like the sith you got to deal in absolutes <laughs> you know and pino here obviously trying to make exceptions for these three celebrities and he's like they're not black and then he's like kind of stammering over it and they're like well they're they're more than black he's like trying to come up with an explanation yeah and he can't it makes no sense right a stupid way to think and this transitions into the montage of the racial epithets directed towards the camera all done by different characters in the movie there's mookies which are aimed at italians and then pinos which are aimed at african-americans and then one character is aimed at the Koreans, and then the Koreans talk about Jews, and then the cops talk about Puerto Ricans. That's right, yeah. We're reminded of the hate montage. Yeah, it's something that Lee would go back to, and he yeah. did it in 25th Hour. Which Although we that was about. all done by Ed Norton. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it because is he's like Irish. <laughs> but it is like so similar, like the way it's done and everything. It almost feels like yeah, the uh, the, the delivery and the like, beat of it. Yeah, like an homage to this. Yeah, a self homage. Can I talk to you for a second? What, Pino? Who's your favorite basketball player? Magic Johnson. Who's your favorite movie star? Eddie Murphy. Who's your favorite rock star? Prince. You're a Prince. Boss, Bruce. Prince. 
Bruce. Pino, all you ever talk about is nigga this and nigga that. And all your favorite people are so-called niggas. It's different. Magic, Eddie, Prince are not niggas. I mean, they're not black. I mean, let me explain myself. They're, they're not really black. I'm, I mean, they're black, but they're not really black. They're, they're more than black. It's, it's, it's different. It's different? Yeah, to me, it's, it's different. You know, deep down inside, I think you wish you were black. Get the fuck out of here. Laugh if you want to. You know, your hair is kinkier than mine. What does that mean? And you know what they say about dark Italians? You know, I've been listening and reading. You've been reading now? I read. I've been reading about your leaders. Reverend Al, Mr. Do, Sharp Tone, Jesse. Keep hope alive. That's fucked up. Keep hope alive. Hey, that's fucked. Don't talk about Jess. And uh, even uh, the other guy, what's his name? Uh, Farrakhan. Farrakhan. Uh, Minister Farrakhan. All right, sorry. Minister Farrakhan. Anyway, Minister Farrakhan always talks about the so-called day when, when the black man will rise. We will one day, what does he say? We will one day rule the earth as we did in, in our glorious past. Yeah, that's right. What past are you talking about? I mean, what, what did I miss? We started civilization. Man, keep dreaming, man. Then you woke up. Pino, fuck you, fuck your fucking pizza, and fuck Frank Sinatra. Yeah? Well, fuck you, too, and fuck Michael Jackson. Dago Wab, Guinea, garlic bread, pizza slinging, spaghetti bending, Vic Damone, Perry Como, Luciano Pavarotti, solo meal, non singer motherfucker. You gold teeth, gold chain wearing, fried chicken, and biscuit eating, monkey ate, baboon, big guy, fast running. High jumping spear chucking 360 degree basketball dunking titsoon spade mulling yarn. Take your fucking pizza pizza and go the fuck back to Africa. You little slanty eyed, mean no speaky American, own every fruit and vegetable stand in New York, bullshit Reverend Sun Young Moon, some Olympic 88 Korean kickboxing Sabadam bitch. You Goya bean eating 15 in a car, 30 in an apartment, pointy shoes, red wearing, menudo, meter, meter, Puerto Rican cocksucker? Yeah, you! It's cheap. I got good for ice for you. Now catch it. How I'm doing? Chocolate, ego cream drinking, bagel and deluxe, banana, but this Jew asshole. Yo! Hold up! Time out! Time out! Y'all take a chill! You need to cool that shit out. This little moment here is one of a few little diversions that Lee does. There's like the the scene later where he's thanking God for every part of Rosie Perez, like one part at a time. And there's, <laughs> I think we've already mentioned the radio roll call where oh, yeah. Senior Love Daddy is listing all of these African-American music artists. That's right. And then this scene where it's just like going off on this tangent where it's almost like separate from the narrative of the movie. It's just like this moment to like put a list in there about different stuff. But you would think on paper like, oh, this seems insane. Like this would not work for a movie. Yet somehow it fits the vibe of the whole thing to just have these moments where uh, true. you're absorbed with this list of things. I don't know how to, what another word to describe that would be, but this torrent of words. Right. Sometimes it's provocative like the racial stuff or sexual like the stuff with rosie perez or just interesting to yeah, hear yeah. all of these artists up against each other all different genres and eras and all this different stuff but when mookie's coming back from a delivery he runs into radio rahim and radio rahim is showing him these new rings they're almost like brass knuckles but they're words yes love and hate and this plays into what we were talking about with the 
the different quotes at the end of the film and walking that line of like, well, what is the right thing? And the frustration at there not being a right answer. And the name of the movie is Do the Right Thing, but is there a right answer to these things? Well, certainly a Is there a right situation. way to understand this stuff? I think there is a right way to understand it, but is there a way to fix it? I don't know. In yeah. like real world society, I, like how do we I fix mean, some of this stuff? I think there is always going to be a certain percentage of humans who just have these tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Which really. is why this movie is over 30 years old now and it still feels like I just, the same movie you're never going to get out away today. right you're never going to get away from some version of this existing pino and his dad sal talk about the neighborhood with pino expressing his contempt for african-americans yet again a certain point it's just like pino <laughs> we get it yeah really and his father sal insisting that he's not leaving the neighborhood and this is a little bit of a window into their history and some of Pino's motivations, he says that some of his friends give him shit. I guess they're from Bensonhurst. Well, I was like, these aren't your friends then. Yeah. Bensonhurst, much more Italian area of Brooklyn. Kind of made me a little self-reflective for a moment. I realized, <laughs> you know, all my friends just make fun of me. <laughs> for going to work at your dad's pizzeria. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, just imagine all the free pizza. That's right. Yeah, sick of it. Life would be okay. Yeah, the pizza at Sal's looks terrible in the movie, but... That's because, like, the budget only allowed for, like, a couple of pizzas, and they were just reusing the same pizza. <laughs> How willing How would you be was that? to spend $2 for extra cheese? That seems pretty nuts. Not, I think not two more dollars. Okay. Two total dollars, whereas the slice was one fifty. So I think it's, like... I hope you're right. Yeah. Did you think it was like? Well, I was like, I guess I, three fifty. I, I mean, for... I was like, well, it doesn't make sense that extra cheese costs more than the slice itself. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's what I meant. Okay, good. <laughs> that's like the most important thing we're figuring out. <laughs> it's what were the prices itself? That's right. Yeah, for just a slice. But that is kind of shocking though, because as much as inflation has been a thing, <laughs> I mean, the price for a slice of pizza hasn't changed too much since '89. Yeah, one fifty doesn't seem that cheap. You would think it would be cheaper for yeah. that long ago. So let's talk a little bit about Sal and Jade, Mookie's sister. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Sal just like a little curveball thrown in weak here. Weak in the knees <laughs> about Jade. What is Jade's age, do you think? I, I was just thinking like mid-20s. She's supposed to be younger than Mookie. I find that unbelievable. To me, she seems like almost maternal to him. Yeah. But he does call her baby sis. A couple yeah, times, I, I don't know if he maybe does he's say, like, just I'm like, your older brother. There's definitely an immaturity to Mookie. Yeah, she seems to have gotten her life more together than him. But yeah, so basically, Sal is super annoyed with Mookie for taking forever on some of these deliveries. But his anger is kind of diverted when Jade shows up because it seems like Sal he, well, I, is like into Jade. Yeah, when Jade shows up, he's like humming, 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 humming. <laughs> And Mookie does not like this at all and puts the kibosh on it immediately and, like, pulls Jade around the corner and is just like, you're not allowed to come here anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> and now, then he, I mean, it, he confronts Sal about it, too, and Sal's like, you better not be saying what I think you're saying. <laughs> Sal does seem like, he does seem significantly older. Yeah, it's so, I mean, like, like shockingly older. <laughs> I, I mean, Sal seems, like, pretty old. 
<laughs> well, he's probably like in his 50s. Yeah. And Jade's younger than Mookie. Yeah, so she's like early 20s probably. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but I mean. It was a different time. <laughs> I was going to say. Every episode. He doesn't really. Well, he does like compliment her on her eyes. He's smitten. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, what I was saying was, it's not like he actually like he's not making a move. Goes for it. It's more just. But like, I mean, you is know. it a harmless crush, or do you think he would go for it, <sighs> given the time? It feels like a harmless crush, but I listen. Yeah, because I mean, we don't it, know what's going on with the wife, and if an opportunity presents itself, I think Sal is. Uh, yeah, but all he, in. He, he's probably smart enough to know that the opportunity is not presenting itself. Like she's right. not really gonna go for it. You know, I think sometimes yeah. you he's, reach a certain age, you have fun exactly. living in the crush. <laughs> he's like us. He just knows that it's not going to happen. <laughs> I relate so much to Sal. That's right. <laughs> Mookie delivers a pizza to Tina, finally seeing her after all these days, <laughs> which I also found hilarious. They have a son together. She hasn't seen him in like five days or something. It's well, crazy. I actually feel like throughout most of the movie – Mookie is portrayed as a pretty likable guy. It seems like most of the people in the neighborhood like him, Sal, and his sons, despite whatever the fuck is going on with John Turturro. Uh, it seems like he's pretty well liked. This sheds a little different light on Mookie. I, I feel like he kind of seems kind of shitty. In yeah, the, it's definitely a weird thing considering how close they all live. That is Somehow really it's almost like son. you're intentionally yeah. not seeing your son and he says like oh he's busy working it's like well we know you don't even really like deliver pizza pizzas delivery on your guy work. yeah and, and you don't even do that efficiently it's not that busy of a place <laughs> and you're like constantly doing little side tasks like during your deliveries but he seems to be able to make her laugh pretty easily and so all seems to be forgiven he gets an ice cube out and yeah Starts running it over her body. This is kind of a controversial okay. moment in the movie that I think is worth noting, especially in the era we live in now. So this is a quote that Rosie Perez said years later. She said, quote, my first experience, brackets meaning like explaining this with doing okay. new scenes, was do the right thing. And I had a big problem with it mainly because I was afraid of what my family would think. Uh, yeah. That's what was really bothering me. It wasn't really about taking off my clothes, but I also didn't feel good about it because the atmosphere wasn't correct. And when Spike Lee puts ice cubes on my nipples, the reason you don't see my head is because I'm crying. I was like, I don't want to do this. It's dark. We talked briefly about this scene before the show as we often recap the nude scenes off Mike. <laughs> of <but>. all movies. <laughs> no, but I was like, I, I was thinking that it was just a body double because... And and that it does bring up the point of like, well, why wasn't it then? If she didn't want to do it and she wasn't gonna show her face. I mean, it costs money. Well, they, like true. I said, they yeah. only had two pizzas <laughs> that they right. used the whole time. Yeah, like, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, Good I point. don't know. Was it a hundred percent necessary to do it? I don't know. Was that part of I guess of that's like, the thing. They certainly could have done without It's an interesting scene and it illustrates again the, the heat and it's kind of a an alternative to like a sex scene yeah. in the movie. But yeah, when you hear about stuff like that, I guess to be fair. By the way, I feel like not Rosie a lot of Perez appeared for, um... in the new She's Gotta Have It show and other okay. like Spike yeah. Lee stuff. It seems like they've gotten So they've patched past it, up. it. Yeah. But I was just thinking, not a lot of sympathy for uh body doubles, you know? What do you mean? It's just like 
oh, this actress was, there was pressure on her to do a nude scene or whatever. And no one ever really cares about the body doubles we're parading out there. I don't, I don't get what you're saying. Okay, well, move well on. that's what do- that's what their job is. Yeah, well, I think it could be a sad thing. <laughs> well, then they don't have to do it. <laughs> They're just like, hey, I got great breasts. I'm going to be a body double. Yeah. Like, imagine they choose to do that. <laughs> imagine having that thought process. <laughs> I've got a great ass. Yeah. I'm going to be a body double. When uh, Lindsay and I were watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just a little bit earlier, she was watching it when I got home from work. And I was, it's the part where Brad Pitt's like on the roof of the house with like his shirt off. Margot Robbie's like across the way, like playing records. And I'm just like, man. Can you imagine just being like a beautiful person living in the Hollywood Hills? <laughs> like, what a life that would be. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea that Brad Pitt is a stunt man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after this little rendezvous with Tina, Mookie comes back. Sal's is going to close up for the night. And this basically takes us into the last half hour of the film. Where things really uh, ratchet up here. It's pretty much the, the whole talking point. And honestly... Rewatching this movie now in a post Parasite world, I feel like, and I did recently see Parasite again. It reminds me of like the tonal shifts in Parasite. Parasite is mostly kind of funny, and I mean, there's like little commentaries on different stuff, but like it takes like a these big dramatic turns, and the tone completely shifts. And yeah, I mean, when you watch Do the Kinda Right Thing, there isn't necessarily an indication that it's going to go this far with it. That if you don't really know ahead of time what you're in for, why would you think that it's going to go this far? Yeah. But I mean, it somehow is, works. Yeah, and I do think that they're doing enough tension building. That's true. That's true. You know. But I mean, I, I think... I agree with you, though. It if does, you don't know yeah. that you're headed somewhere... I still think it's I like could have still seen a pretty strong thing to happen. Yeah, we're like where this was building towards Sal just like letting everyone back into the pizza joint like after hours and it's kind of like this nice moment where you know <laughs> Well, like, it starts out kind of like that. Right, yeah. So that group of people, it's like three guys and the a Martin girl. Lawrence crew. Martin Lawrence is in that group. They come in. Mookie is kind of like, no, we're closed. And yeah. Sal's the one that's let like, all right, let him in, let him in. Last minute group looking for pizza. Sal says, okay, four slices and we're out of here. And they let them in, but then they don't lock the door behind them. Oh, and then Bugging out. Bugging out has found a group. He's found people to join his protest oh, of boy. Sal's, his boycott. Now, Which, What time of night is it now? <laughs> I don't know. It's dark in the summer. Yeah. It's probably like 9 or 10. I guess, like, the groundwork for Radio Rahim joining Buggin' Out is laid when Radio Rahim comes in earlier and they kind of have yeah, a confrontation a... over the boombox. Right. And the interesting thing to me about the movie, and I'm sure some people would disagree depending on their viewpoints, but I think that it's intriguing that Sal always has a good point. I think it's unreasonable to bring a boombox that's blasting music into a restaurant and not expect the person to want you to turn it off. Yeah, yeah. Could Sal have been more polite? Maybe, because it seems like Radio Arheem was annoyed that he didn't say please, but, you know, I think that it's the Uh, way that people talk in the neighborhood. Everyone's talking to each other that way. I don't think people are usually saying please. I do feel like there's a a part of you that being the person with the boombox would... Be at least somewhat aware that you're kind of being a disturbance. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and as you pointed out, I don't think it's necessarily 
an unreasonable take to be like, this is my restaurant. I can put whoever I want on the wall. So there are these little seeds in there of like, well, Sal isn't necessarily in the wrong leading up to this. Bugging out Radio Rahim and also Smiley, who has also joined the cause. Not really sure why. Well, I guess because like Pino a... yelled at him. Okay, fair enough. Because that Sal, would be enough for me. Sal tries to like placate him. This is like after that emotional father-son talk about the neighborhood and Pino wanting to leave, and then Smiley comes up and Pino basically yells at him and tells him to fuck off. And Sal's like trying to like give him money for the pictures or whatever, but Smiley just runs off, and then it leads to him joining up with Bugging Out and Radio Rahim. So they all come in basically demanding black people will be put up on the wall of fame. Sal's demanding. Which you would think you would show up with some of the pictures to put up. Because <laughs> you know? how is he going to resolve this right now? Yeah. It's a slippery slope. It's like, well, Okay, guys. Well, I, I will, but it ain't going to be tonight. Yeah. And how, who decides like how many and who and all of these different things. Sal demands Raheem turn off the music. He refuses. And I think it's important to note that initially, the other patrons in the restaurant, the four that came in that kept it open, and Mookie, are all pretty much on Sal's side at the beginning. They're kind of like, all right. This is a little over like, the get top. Get out of here with this. Like, wh- why are we doing this right now? We want to close. Even if there's a conversation to be had about this wall of fame, like, why are we doing this right now? Yeah, yeah. It's like the hottest day of the year. We want to just want to go I'm ready home. for bed. But things escalate quickly. There's racial slurs flying both ways. Oh, boy, yeah. I think Raheem or Bugging Out, I can't remember who, calls them like guinea bastards. Then they're saying the N-word. And then yeah, when Sal... Well, Sal just completely loses it. Yeah, when Sal starts dropping the N-bomb, that changes the mood of the room. Yeah. And he see, he does kind of lose <laughs> the people that were on his side. Now, he is snapped, though. Yes. Like, he has reached a breaking point. And... This is something where it's like, you know, he's saying this horrible thing, but is he just saying this horrible thing because he's just so angry? I'm not saying that's defensible. I'm just saying, like, what's his actual motivation here? Well, I guess the argument would be that if it's something that you would say in a situation, then it's something that is there under the surface. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) Maybe I need to think about this for myself, not related to race at all or anything, but... There were times in my life where I said some particularly hurtful things to, let's say, a girlfriend. Oh, well, we've all done that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I didn't necessarily think she was a C, but <laughs> it didn't stop me from saying it in a moment of anger. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. I think with certain words with a history, like, I, right, it's just like a different thing. I agree that it's because com- indefensible. They're definitely, like, Spike Lee is portraying Sal's anger here as just, I mean, it is next level. He is, like, unhinged, and he's just pissed. Yeah, well, I think that, I think there's an argument to be made that because people understand the power of certain words, whether we're talking the N-word or the C-word or whatever, (laughs) there's certain things. And depending on who you're talking to, you would have to be completely insane or idiotic to not know what those words are that would work on certain people. Yeah. However, I think the point here, I guess, would be that just because you know that, you have to rise above ever using it. Yes. Because then you've given in to 
the hate and you've given into being that kind of a person. Right. So like I get it from the certain perspective you could say well maybe Sal's not actually a racist guy. He just knows the history of the word and knows that this is and like a big thing. And he's trying to say something hurtful. Yeah, so in it's a like, period of uncontrollable way, rage. Yeah, it's the way to fight back in a certain situation. Either way, we all agree you can't go there. And then he takes the baseball bat and destroys Raheem's boombox, which causes the restaurant to go silent. It's like a momentary calm before the storm. But then <laughs> Raheem attacks Sal, pulls him over the counter. Yeah. Everyone. We're heading uh, Sal, down a dark path here. His sons, Mookie, Raheem, bugging out. The other three dudes, not the girl they're with. Even Smiley jump into the brawl. It turns violent quickly it spills into the street and then this obviously attracts a crowd so now everyone's kind of coming over some people are trying to break it up like demare other people are just kind of watching it's an, an era before well, cell phone cameras so yeah. no one's filming it but although the cops certainly show up fairly quickly yeah and there's accusations later that pino or somebody called the cops although i don't see how that's possible yeah because they're all outside the entire time. But they are accused of it afterwards when all the shit goes down. The police arrive and Raheem is like on top of Sal choking Sal. The police pull Raheem off while they're arresting Buggin' Out. And then one cop, who actually is the one played by Danny Aiello's real life son, he puts Raheem in a chokehold using his like nightstick. And then yeah. everyone... Uh, who's there is begging him to stop including eventually the other officers even. that's right yeah but he doesn't and eventually kills rahim by choking him yeah it's pretty disturbing and things it goes on get... like well beyond that including like kicking him after he's dead well yeah because they're like i think that's like almost out of like panic that's right yeah. just like wake up what do you he's stop not it? dead yeah and then realizing that they've just murdered someone in front of all these witnesses, the they cops flee. throw his body in the back of a squad car and get the fuck out. Yeah. It's such a crazy and, reaction. And that's this weird thing about, like, the cops coming into the neighborhood earlier in the movie and then, like, leaving here. They're from another world and going back to another world while the rest of us... <laughs> us. <laughs> well, hold on. What I mean is, like, the viewing audience, though, who's never left this oh, yeah, yeah, neighborhood. Okay. Like, this... We're... <laughs> We ain't going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're, we're left here in the chaos. So, yeah, they've taken away Bugging Out, and they've taken away the body of Raheem, leaving Sal, Pino, and Vito to deal with the angry crowd. They're kind of left exposed here. Yeah, and there's, like, this moment of, like, everyone knows something's going to happen, but we don't really know what it is yet. And Sal's like, do what you have to. Well, I think he's, like, trying to provide an explanation for his actions because it seems like people are blaming them because yeah, yeah. they're literally like everyone seems to be yelling different stuff and he's trying to explain it it's not really helping it's making it worse and then the big moment of the film yes. the most talked about the most discussed debated thought about moment is mookie taking a metal trash can walking over and throwing it through the window of sal's famous pizzeria and i think before shit turns bad sal says to Mookie that he's like a son to him. Yes. So we've gone from that to this. Yes. Spike Lee, as we talked about before we started recording, adamant that Mookie's doing it out of anger for the death of Radio Raheem. 
And I definitely think that's a part of it. He seems to deny that Mookie's diverting the attention of the angry mob away from Sal and his sons. Yet, I would think it's, that it is. Yet, a no matter bit of what both, he right? says, that is what happens. Yeah, I don't know if that's the intention of what they were trying to go for or not. Uh, I tend to think it's part of it. It feels like it has to be both. Yeah, I mean to fit the rest of the theme of the movie because the crowd then. Their attention is diverted away from Sal and Pino and Vito, and they rush in to destroy the restaurant, which, of course, is upsetting to Sal, but he's, Ooh, he's momentarily yeah, this place saved. Goes down in flames. Well, yeah, Smiley runs in and lights it on fire. DeMayer pulls That's right, Sal yeah. and his sons away while this is all going on. And so, whether it was intentional on Mookie's part or whether it's intentional on Spike Lee's part for writing the scene, whatever, whatever. The end result is the riot is momentarily distracted and saving the lives probably of Sal and his sons. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, based on who they were or based on how they were feeling in 1989 and, and the different reviews that I was referring to before we jumped into the plot and all the controversy, you know, the takeaway about destroying the building and Spike Lee pointing out that it said a lot about people if their takeaway was being more upset about the riot and the building being destroyed than the death of a young man at the hands well, of the totally, police. Yeah. And it is symbolic of the the frustration and the anger, and that anger has to go somewhere, and there has to be an outlet for it, and it just so happens that it's got to be pizzeria in that situation. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, if anything, it, it uh, makes me sad for the pizzeria. You know, the mob momentarily turns to the Korean grocer and he's like, I'm not white, I'm black. <laughs> we should say that the Korean grocer, Mike Yanagita from wow. Fargo, really? same guy. Star sighting. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love that it's that dude. That's so great. Now, if you want to be critical of the decision to throw the garbage can through the window, I don't think that necessarily makes you a bad person. I think you can think about it in uh, different ways. Well, listen, we have another scene with Sal, and it's when you go back to his perspective, despite the horrible things he's done, this is pretty sad. I mean, when you hear about it, him building this business, and it is like, you know, the American dream of like, I built this myself and built my life here and everything, and it's, it's all destroyed, and he doesn't right. care about the financial aspect of getting insurance money or anything, and it's just, it, that is... That is kind of heartbreaking in its own sense. Right. Well, yeah, and I was going to get to that too, but yeah, yeah. I just mean because the firemen and the riot patrols show up because the crowd has escalated this and it's continuing to go. And so if you want to be realistic about living in a society where the police can seemingly do whatever they want or murder somebody without real repercussion then you have to be serious about it. And so if you throw a garbage can through a window, you have to think about how is that going to affect the community? How is that going to affect this crowd of people? And How is that going to affect my employment status? realistic to think that you're putting other people in danger because you're bringing the police and the riot squad back. And they do turn the fire hoses on the crowd, and there does seem yeah, to be more fighting and more arrests. And yes... There's a certain amount of justifiable anger over what's happened, but if you think about it, like, what if the police came back and choked somebody else out? You know what I mean? Then all of a sudden, you might have, like, a whole war There's on no your more hands pizza with the police, to... and people are shooting, and 
I don't know. It just seems like once you escalate it farther, I don't yeah, give a sure. like, I'm not even saying it. The risk I, levels are rising. I'm not comparing the loss of a building to a loss of a human. I know that they're not comparable. I'm just saying that by taking that next step, you could potentially be putting other people at risk for further repercussions even if those things are unjustified it's like well so was the death of the other guy radio rahim but that doesn't mean that something bad isn't going to happen if it keeps going yeah yeah. so that's just the way you could look at that too after the police issue a warning the firefighters turn their hoses on the riders leading to more fighting and arrests mookie and jade sit on the curb watching in disbelief smiley wanders back into the smoldering building and hangs one of his Martin Luther King Jr. Malcolm X pictures on what is left of Sal's wall of fame. Spike Lee tends to have multiple Mission endings couples. to a lot of his yeah. movies. This seems almost like an ending, and then there's more. Guttural screams from mother's sister out in the street. She's comforted by Demare. That's right. And then it kind of fades. These two may be getting it going again? <laughs> well, we find out that they didn't sleep in the same bed Okay. the next morning. She That's didn't sleep shame. at all. How could you think about sex at a time like this? Well, yeah. I just think, you know, a heightened situation. It, they're back on the road. Get the old They're on the road, in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The next morning, Mookie and Tina are arguing because Mookie wants to leave to go get money from Sal, which seems insane. I don't feel like Mookie seems particularly heroic during this moment. Which moment? The, the, the arguing with T- Tina? Yeah. A- and then heading back to Sal and the interaction. That, now, obviously... These two are going to be in a weird place after the events of the night before, but I, I almost feel like from the Mookie perspective, you're not going to let it be with Sal. You mean just without getting the money? Not confronting him? Yeah. Well, I think... Maybe that's just me because I'm so anti-confrontational. I think Mookie has established over the course of the film that he needs that money. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say that <laughs> Lee has returned to Sal's Pizzeria and... Mookie, the character, a couple of times. Once in Inside Man, I believe, that they get pizzas delivered from Sal's family. Oh, right, yeah. And then I think in Red Hook Summer, which was like from 2012, Mookie is a character and he's delivering pizzas for Sal's famous. And Spike Lee said Sal took the insurance money, relocated to Red Hook, and <laughs> rehired Mookie. That's right. Okay, so <laughs> they got it going again. Yeah, and then they I think. They were able to rekindle. Tina reappears in the show, the Netflix show version of She's Gotta Have It. And they reveal that Mookie and her had like another son who's like a character on that show or something. No longer together, though. I don't know. I I, I didn't watch the show. Yeah. (laughs) I just was reading these different things. Mookie goes to get his pay from Sal. Sal feels betrayed because of him throwing the thing through the window. But the film oddly ends with some kind of a reconciliation between the two yeah. which is strange but you well, kind of I mean, get Sal it is like because pretty distraught and upset with mookie upset with the situation in general yeah but they're coming back on they're on the other side of something now true something traumatic that's happened i think regardless of how sal felt in the moment when he was losing his temper i mean he obviously didn't want somebody to get killed and this was someone that was Mookie's good friend. It's just a lot. And it, again, speaks to Lee's commitment to providing three-dimensional characters that he allows this monologue oh, yeah. from Sal really going on about the importance the of The fact this that you could make this business. movie and, like, Sal is just pure villain. Like, you could make it yeah, that way. 
And the fact that like we end up seeing Sal's perspective a lot, but even seeing it again at the end here after he's kind of been involved in something horrible. Yeah, for sure. I think that's what makes a lot of the film stand out is that there's this attention to the characters that makes them feel real, like real humans and not just ideas, projected ideas. Yeah. With a possible exception of Pino. But even Pino, there is more to the character than just the racism. He says these terrible things, and he's he's definitely not sympathetic. But even with that character, who's like the most extreme version, you still see there's a lot of anger and pain and you're one and, and it makes you wonder more about like well, yeah i think where you, that comes you from. know that there's more going on there and then the film ends with two quotes that express different views about violence one from martin luther king jr one from malcolm x and it just furthers this duality this two-sided thing yeah, one being like pursuit. the more passive peaceful approach and one being like not overly violent but a do what you gotta do type yeah thing. The first quote says, Violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. It is impractical because it is a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. The old law of an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible it leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue violence ends by defeating itself it creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers and that is a quote from martin luther king that's right that is followed on the scroll by this quote from malcolm x a little bit of a different take i think that there are plenty of good people in america but there are also plenty of bad people in america and the bad ones are the ones who seem to have all the power and be in positions to block things that you and I need, because this is the situation. You and I have to preserve the right to do what is necessary to bring an end to that situation, and it doesn't mean that I advocate violence, but at the same time, I am not against using violence in self-defense. I don't even call it violence when it's self-defense. I call it intelligence. So that's it. Yeah. Do the right thing. This one's a lot longer than uh, I thought it was going to yeah, go. Yeah, and I guess... Kind of a downer, a little bit, <laughs> and certainly some tough subjects to, to talk about and make jokes about. <laughs> but, I mean, this is just, like, a great movie, though. And while I don't love all of Spike Lee's movies, this one really does stand out to you. It's just, I, I mean, there's so much going on in it. Yeah, it has all the earmarks of a young, hungry filmmaker with big ideas and a lot of hey, talent yeah. and just bursting at the seams to get those ideas out. That's right. And, yeah, I mean, realistically, you're not going to be able to maintain that level over a 30-year career. Well, totally, yeah. <laughs> 30, close to 40 at this point. Yeah. But uh, it actually sort of fits into that era, too, of, like, again, this was a studio movie, but it has such an indie feel to it. And really what would lead into indie filmmaking, like, into the early 90s, Yeah, uh, it, it, it does fit that vibe. Yeah, for sure. Influential and... Still as powerful today as it was uh, 30 plus years ago. Absolutely, and relevant. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Recommendations for this week. (laughs) 
Well, you can go first because I'm not 100 percent sure I have one. <laughs> I've only watched the first episode, but here we go, folks. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs> Hulu original series, High Fidelity, starring Zoe Kravitz. Listen, it's never going to be as good as John Cusack. It's her uh, mom in the original. That's right. Yes. I love the material. Who doesn't like a, a dark, depressed record store owner making their way through the world? I heard there the was like and, lines and stuff exactly from the movie. There is, yeah. I mean, we've already had I'm anxious to check it out. I got a recommendation yeah. from an old podcast partner of mine from way back. Oh, yeah. Who reached out and was talking about this show. I've been tempted to click play on it a couple times. I do feel like and there then is, I just pass right by yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do think there's going to be some stuff where you're just going to be like, I, I, I can't do this. <laughs> I just can't. But listen, I, I'm in. I think if, if you're a fan of the original material, it, it, who doesn't want to go back down this road from a different perspective? And I like Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I, I just don't know why you can't build a show around Zoe Kravitz. It's like its own thing. I why agree. is everything just... Well, that's I know. That's the... what. We're, it, it, listen, if that show existed, I would recommend that. But it doesn't, so here we are. <laughs> All right. So Hulu's High Fidelity. Yes. <laughs> I, couldn't, I forgot the title already. I was like, what was this called again? <laughs> yeah, I don't really, I don't really have a, a new recommendation per se. Okay. So I w- <laughs> I'll recommend an old film that I just picked up on Blu-ray. It's new to Criterion Collection. However, as I'm putting my ah. finger up for the room, however, okay, everyone can watch it who has Netflix because I'm talking about Roma, the first Netflix release well, that old of the a movie. Criterion yeah. Collection. Well, I just mean like not current something that I just saw or anything. Okay, it's an interesting time period for these netflix originals i think marriage story yeah irishman the atlantics and american factory i think are the titles that are all coming to criterion collection wow and roma already has happy Seems to like have they've got some sort of a deal and people were probably like why would you waste money on a blu-ray of a movie that's on netflix because you never know number one i think that blu-rays look better than streaming that's number one and number two you never know what's going to happen. You don't own something that's on streaming. I hate to break it to you. Number three. Physical media should never die. You should always own the things you like. Number four. Fuck off. Just yeah, mind let, your own business. Let me do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> if I get excited by being able to drive to Barnes & Noble on like a random that's weekday right. night to buy a Blu-ray, Despite then leave me alone. their uh, Criterion <laughs> section shrinking. <laughs> and their regular price when they're not on sale being $40. <laughs> Which is insane. All, All right, right. Yeah. folks. So Roma and High Fidelity, the TV show. But hey, if you like that, we oh. did an episode on High Fidelity. That's right. It was our All the way one back. of our uh, listener, listener request. requests That's way right. back in the day. So check that out as well. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. That way you'll never miss something. It'll be in your feed. You can listen to us anytime. You can listen to us in the car. You can also download a Podbean app, which I just downloaded to check that out, oh, what wow. it was like. And you know what? If you have an iPhone... It's not that bad? Or I'm assuming this is on other phones, too. Uh, yeah, Anything that has say? an app store, I'm sure Podbean is available. You should get that and check that out. That way you can stay subscribed on there as well. Yeah. And also on the old iTunes. I don't know how long... I don't know what the deal is with no. iTunes, but what it seems like you can still find to be. podcasts on there. <laughs> what did you say? I said, what an ending this is turning out to be. Well, I'm getting the plugs in. All right, good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, that'll do it for Do the Right Thing. And we will see you next time. spent all that money on a boat. The whole purpose of buying the boat in the first place was to get the ladies nice and tipsy topside so we can take them to a nice, comfortable place below deck and, you know, they can't refuse because of the implication. Oh, uh, okay. You had me go in there for the first part. The second half kind of threw me. Well, dude, dude, th think about it. She's out in the middle of nowhere with some dude she barely knows. You know, she looks around her. What does she see? Nothing but open ocean. Ah, uh, there's nowhere for me to run. What am I going to do? Say no? 
Okay. That, <laughs> <laughs> that seems really dark. Though. No, no, I mean, it's not dark. You're misunderstanding me, bro. I'm, I'm, I think I am. Yeah, you are. <laughs> because if the girl said no, then the answer obviously is no. No. But the thing right. is, is she's not gonna say yeah. no. She would never say no because of the implication. Now, you, you've said that word implication a couple of times. What, what implication? The implication that things might go wrong for her if she refuses to sleep with me. Now, not that things are gonna go wrong for her, but she's thinking that they will. But it sounds like she doesn't want to have Why sex. Why aren't you with understanding you? this? I don't, she she doesn't know whether she wants to have sex with me. It's that she doesn't know. That's not know. the issue. Are she, you gonna hurt women? I'm not gonna hurt oh, these women. Okay. Why would I ever hurt these women? I, don't know. I feel like you're not getting this at all. I'm at not all. getting it. God damn. 